Well, hey, good morning. Uh, I want to start off by just telling you a story. Is that cool? So this, this is how I'm going to start. Uh, when I was eight years old, I was on a soccer team. And uh, I wasn't particularly good on my particular soccer team because uh, as an eight-year-old, I was in a small town in central Illinois. And uh, the way that it worked there is because we were so small, the town was like 12,000 people. Because we were so small, you either played with kids that were older than you or younger than you. So I got put on the team that was older than me. And uh, kids that were, I was eight, so kids that were nine and ten made up of a majority of this team. And then there's me, right, an eight-year-old. And when you're young, when you're eight years old, uh, nine and ten makes a big difference in sports, right? A lot of you parents know this. Uh, an eight-year-old playing against a ten-year-old is a totally different ball game. A bunch of eight-year-olds on a field looks way different than a bunch of ten-year-olds on a field, right? Are you following me so far? So here I am, I'm eight years old, I'm playing on this team, and these kids are better than me, they're faster than me, they're bigger than me, and so I, I struggled, right? I struggled to, to contribute to the team, I struggled in different positions. So there's one game in particular, coach put me on offense, and I struggled on offense, right, because I'm, I'm not as fast, I'm slow, I have asthma, so I, I'm that kid that pulls out my inhaler, and you know, I'm wheezing, and right, so then the coach puts me on defense and says, defense is better for you, you don't have to run. I said, thanks, coach. So I'm, I'm playing defense, and I had big feet. And so when the offense would come at the defense, I would do one of these. I'd swing my foot and just kick. About half the time I hit the ball. The other half the time I got the whistle blown and the referee called a penalty, etc. So coach decides one day, I'm going to change it up. David, we're going to put you on goalie. Now, if you're looking at me in my stature, right, or if you're listening online, I'm not a fast guy. Okay, I'm a bigger, I'm a bulkier guy, but, but I've never played goalie before in my life. I've, the only thing I know about goalie is what I've seen on TV. So here's the thing, I, I walk out on the field, and I'm terrified. I find my spot in the goal, I stand between the goal posts, I'm looking right, I see one post, I'm looking left, I see the other post, and this thought comes to my mind. This thing is huge. And I start getting nervous, right, because I'm playing with all these kids that are 9 and 10 years old, and I'm just this 8-year-old, right? So I, I'm playing, I'm like, I should have paid more attention as to what I'm supposed to do. And so as I'm standing there, coach starts yelling at me, right, barking at me from the sideline, move up, move up. I'm like, you don't understand, this is safety right here. This is as close to the goal as I can. No, no, move up. So he moves me all the way up out to the edge of the penalty box because my defenders, the ball was on the other side of the field, my defenders are at midfield. So they're all lined up at midfield. I'm lined up at the penalty box, and this giant box with a gaping hole behind me is what the other team wants to put that ball in. So here's the thing. The other team, they get the ball, they start coming down the field my direction. They get through my last defender, and there is one big kid with the soccer ball looking, and as he looks up, he sees that the only thing between me and his glory, or between the goal and his glory, is me. Right, so he gets this look in his eyes, and so as he's coming down, he's barreling down. I'm getting nervous, right? I'm starting to do the pant or the, 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 the chant. I, I don't know. I'm getting nervous. At last second, I ditched everything coach had taught me, and I turned around, and I ran as fast as I could back to the goal. So imagine this sight. You're a parent. This is your child. And you see them turn around, and as they're running as fast as they can, awkwardly, of course, back to the goal, he sees this white object roll right past him, right into the goal. And the other kid throws his shirt up over his head. He starts flying like an airplane. 
and I look at my coach whose head is down. I look at my teammates who are bewildered at what just happened. And then I look at good old mom and dad who are rolling on the floor laughing. (laughs) And I say to myself, I hate this game because I didn't feel good. So the season went out, right? I, I struggled to fit in. I struggled to contribute. I struggled like, like to be a part of this team, but I never really felt like I was good enough to be on that team. And at the end of the season, we're in this ice cream shop, right? The whole group of, of like the, the whole team is there. The parents are there. Everybody's there. And coach comes out and he starts doing his end of season speech. Guys, I'm really proud of you. You worked hard. You worked as a team. You know, you grew You try different positions, right? He looks at me. He says, I'm proud of you. And so here's the thing. I want to do this for you guys. And he starts calling out name by name by name. And he reaches into this box. And he pulls out a trophy. This is a baseball trophy. But it was a soccer trophy. He pulls out a trophy. And he starts calling name after name after name. And so I'm sitting at my table. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting, right? My breath is like hell, and I'm going, please call my name, please call my name, please call my name. And I'm waiting, and it gets gets towards the end. And sure enough, he looks at me, and he says, David. He reaches this trophy. I walk over. I shake his hand. He hands me the trophy. I sit back down, and I put it on the table. And I'm staring at it. And I go, I'm going to be a professional soccer player. And it never happened. But I want to focus on the feeling that I had right before the trophy. This feeling of despair, this feeling of giving up, this feeling of frustration or disappointment or embarrassment, this thing that I didn't feel good enough until I got this. And then I felt unstoppable. And I started thinking about different areas of our lives that we look at, that we focus on, and we go, you know, I'm not really good in this area. I'm not as great of a parent as I thought I would be. I'm not as great of a spouse as I thought I would be. I'm not as good in school. I'm not as good at work until I get something that shows my accomplishment, until I earn some sort of award or reward or trophy or certificate. And so when you're younger, this, this looks like a trophy, Right? But then as you start getting older, in middle school and high school, this turns into grades. This turns into clubs. This turns into positions. You move on to college, this turns into opportunities and job offers. And then you keep going, and it turns into promotions and 401Ks and cottages and special trips and vacations, you name it. It's these things that we just strive at or we strive towards. And once we get them, we feel like we've earned our keep. We feel like we're good enough. We feel like, okay, finally, I made it. I'm good. I get it. But so often, once we get it, we're already setting our eyes on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I wonder how many of us look at our relationship with God in the same way. So we're in the series right now. It's a series called Words to Live By. Uh, and I'm excited about this series because this is, this, is seri- or this is sermon number four in the series. So the first one that, that we talked about was gospel. So we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Gospel, what this, the series Words to Live By is, what are these words that are in our culture or in our context or in our church that we a lot of times hear or we talk about or we know, and yet if I would pull the audience right now and I would say, okay, define gospel. 
what we would actually get is a whole lot of different sort of responses and definitions. So we talked about gospel. Then the next word we talked about is Messiah. What's Messiah? What does Messiah mean? Third, we talked about peace. And then this week, we're talking about righteousness. If you're me, or if you're like me, you kind of, you see the projection of gospel, Messiah, peace. That makes sense. Jesus, Prince of Peace. You know, but then you get to righteousness, and it's kind of like a left turn. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it, that wouldn't be the one that I put up there in the mix. I, I wouldn't see that coming. Uh, and yet, righteousness it actually is prevalent throughout our whole Bible, but I'm going to tell you about that in a second. So, first of all, I want to ask you, when you think of the word righteous or righteousness, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Anybody? Yell it out. Anything? Nothing. Okay, perfect. Well, I, I planned on that. So, first thing that I thought of is like a surfer dude, right? You picture like Kenu Reeves and Point Break, and he gets off, and he's like, dude, the wave, Righteous. Right? You remember that? Righteous? Right? It, talking about, oh, this big wave. It was awesome. It was gnarly. It was cool. Righteous, right? But then I also think about a negative sort of connotation with righteous, and that would be something that we would call self-righteous. Self-righteous person, someone who can only see themselves as being right. Like, as I look at myself, there, there's no fault in me. It's not my issue. It's not my problem. It's everybody else. But, but righteousness is defined as right-standing before God. Righteousness is something that as we stand before God someday, if we have righteousness, we are in right standing before God. And so let me show this, this next slide to you here. Um, the uses of different words in the Bible, this is how prevalent the word righteous is. The words that beat righteousness, as far as number of times showed up in, in the Bible, the words that beat righteousness are God, Jesus, Moses, sin, and heaven. That's it. So all of these words that God has used 4,691 times, he's a major theme in the Bible. Jesus, Moses, sin, heaven, but then we get to righteousness. And this theme of righteousness is not only important, but it's everywhere throughout Scripture. And yet if I turn the question back to us here in this group and say, how would you define righteous or righteousness, I think we would struggle to come up with a definition. So... Uh, with that said, we're, go ahead, open your Bibles if you have your Bible. We're in Romans 10 today. Uh, so let me set up the scene. Romans 10 is written by a guy named Paul. Paul was an apostle who lived just after the time of Jesus, and he's writing this letter to a group of people in Rome, so Rome, Italy. And he's writing to these people, and this is what he says in Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Saved from What? What he's talking about is that their souls might be saved. When they die someday, they would be saved. They wouldn't be condemned. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So he's talking to this group of people and says, the Israelites, right, the Jews, I love them. I love these people. I want them to be saved. When it comes to the end of their life, I want them to make it. I want them to be saved but they're zealous for God and they love God and they want to get God's approval, but the way in which they go about it doesn't make sense to me because the way that they go about it doesn't line up with what they know to be true. This is what he keeps, he says right here. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. There's two pictures of righteousness here. Paul is saying there's 
God's righteousness that God gives and bestows to people. So right standing before God, there's one way of doing it. But then this group of people, the Jews, who are zealous for God, they want to please God, they want to earn their right to be righteous before God, this is how they live out their righteousness. So Paul says there's two things going on here. But verse 4, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul is saying if you're God's righteousness, if you, cons- if you want right standing before God, if you want to be considered right and holy and worthy before God, it only comes through a relationship with Christ, not anything that we do or anything we earn. So to do this, I'm going to do something. This is going to get all of your attention, I promise you. I'm going to do something I've never done before in a sermon uh, and certainly haven't done it here, but we're going to do it. I need two volunteers. One hand. You didn't even hesitate. You don't even know what you're going to do. Come on. Perfect. That's all right. I'm going to have you stand up here. I need one more. Dave, I was hoping you'd say that. Dave, come right here. You're going to come up here. I'm going to grab this microphone. All right. So, Dave, I'm going to have you stand right up here. And then I'm going to have you stand right up there. Perfect. So, just tell everybody your name, even though I said it. Dave. Perfect. Thank you, Dave. And what's your name? Heather. Heather. Perfect. All right. So, Dave and Heather, um, I better have all of your attention because you don't know how many more volunteers I'm going to need. Okay? So, stick with me. Um, first thing I want to ask you guys, I'm going to ask you this, is um, how much did you pay in taxes in the last three years? I'm just kidding. That was a random question. So, this is what I want to do. I want to paint a picture. Okay? You guys can relax. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. You're just, you're just going to be up here. Um, I want to paint a picture, and I want you to... Pay attention because I'm going to ask you a question after I describe these two people. Okay? So, fair question. Did I talk to either of you about this beforehand? No. Is any of you, I know this isn't your first time. Is this your first time here at Frontline? Whew. Okay. Nervous for a second. Um, anyway, I'm going to paint two pictures. I want you to pay attention and I'm going to ask you a question at the end and I want you to answer it. Okay? So, I'm going to paint a picture. I'm going to start with Dave. So, Dave, this is made up, just remember. But Dave, Dave's your model Christian. Okay, he's what you would call a rock star Christian. Dave is here in church every single Sunday of the year without fail. So to illustrate this, illustrate Dave's here, he's always here, he's this rock star Christian, right, we're talking about righteousness. I want to give Dave an award. I want to give him a trophy. Dave, you're here every week. That's awesome. Just hold on to that. So Dave's here, he's solid, he's righteous, right? Dave, Dave is the man, uh, but Dave not only comes here to church, he also obviously sits in the front row, okay? So we're going to give him... Um, let's grab these here. We're going to give them a medal. So would you put that around your neck? That'd be awesome. There you go. Just model it for everybody. Great. So Dave's not only here, he sits in the front row. He's involved. He's in a prayer group. He's in a small group. That's worth another medal. Chicago Marathon. Nice work. Um, He's in a small group. He's committed. He volunteers. Here's a big one. Dave, Dave is a regular giver. Dave actually ties and gives money to the, man, Dave, Nice work, man. Good job. So Dave, what else does Dave do? Dave's in church. He's in a prayer group. He's a leader. You volunteer here, right? You do all sorts of things with kids. Throw that on your neck. Good. Keep going. He does that. Oh, Dave's married, too. He's got a solid marriage. Just hold on to that one. Dave has awesome kids. The kids are just growing up in the Lord. They never get in trouble. You've never been in trouble, right? There you go. So there's that one for you. Anything else? What else do you do, Dave? You, you are just, here's one just for being here because people just want to be you, Okay. So that's Dave. Let me describe Dave. 
There you go. There you go. Just, there you go. Perfect. And remind me your name one more time. Heather. So I don't want to leave Heather out. Okay? Um, Heather, not so much. <laughs> Heather, I mean, Heather's been here once or twice. She kind of comes in and goes out, and Heather, she struggles to maintain relationships. She's certainly not in a small group. That's way too vulnerable, right? So she doesn't let people get close. So she's not in a small group. Um, giving, no, you're not a giver. You don't give. Um, you're just focused on like every week. What, what do I have to do to get to the end of the week and then the end of the month? And it, life's more about Heather, right? It's not so much others. And, and she doesn't really have a great marriage. She's been in and out of relationships. Um, she's been in and out of jail. She's in, been in and out of jobs. I know, Heather. Heather, Heather has this life that it's kind of like, I'm trying to find a reason to give you a trophy, and I just can't. So I, I got you something. I don't want to leave you out, Heather. So I got you this. Um, your name's not Juan, but that's a, a Coke, okay? It's the legit kind, yep. So, so Heather and Dave, here's what I want to ask you. I told you I was going to ask you a question as the audience. If these two stand before God someday, which they will, if they stand before God and this is all that they bring to the table, which one is more righteous? How many of you, by show of hands, would say Heather? Nobody in the room. How many of you would say Dave? Come on, participate. Okay, a lot of hesitation. You don't know what I'm going to do. That's fine. Here's the catch. This is what Paul is saying, is if this is all they bring before the throne of God at the end of their life and stand on this as their righteousness, neither one of them is considered righteous before God. So you guys can sit down. Thank you for coming up. Can you thank them? Perfect. You don't want it? This is for you. Give it to somebody. Give it to someone. There you go. Perfect. Thank you, Dave. You can just leave those wherever. So this is Paul's point. This is what he's trying to illustrate, okay? So you have God's righteousness that says you only find righteousness through a relationship with Jesus. That's the only way because we can't stand on our own, right? The sin that we have in our life has created such a gap, such a chasm between us and God that nothing we can do can bridge that gap apart from Jesus. But here's what he's saying too. He's looking at the Romans and he's looking at the Jews and he's saying, so often, we impose our own version of righteousness, not only on others, but on ourselves. And I'm not going to ask you to raise hands on this one, but for many of us, if you're like me, you'd be sitting in the audience, you'd be watching me depict Dave and Heather up here, and you would be comparing yourself, and you would be comparing your life to theirs. And you'd look at Heather, and you'd look at Dave and go, I'm not as good as Dave, I'm just not. I, I don't do that much involvement. I don't have that bottom line on the checkbook at the end of the week to give. I don't, I don't have, I can't do what he does, and I don't do what he does, and maybe I don't even want to do what he does. But I'm better than Heather. So I'd probably line up somewhere in the middle. And Paul is saying there's a group of people that exist that just say, okay, I understand that this is what Bi the Bible says, but my righteousness, it's a little bit based on what I do, right? 
It's got to be, because that's how the rest of my life works. I work hard, I get a promotion. I score goals, I get a trophy. I study, I get the grade. What we do, we earn, and then we come forward in our relationship with God. If you're anything like me, so often it's a struggle to go, God, I want to ask you for something, but I need to do something or stop doing something before I come to your throne to ask. Can you relate? This is exactly Paul's point. Righteousness is not some title that can be earned, but it's a gift that is received. That's why I have this up here. It's a gift. So all the medals that Dave was wearing up here and all the trophies he was holding, these aren't bad things. In fact, a lot of them are really good things, and they're gifts that God has given, right? A healthy marriage and a giving heart. Giving heart, it's not about tithing. Don't, don't hear that. But when you tithe or when you give money away, it's expressing and showing and putting faith in God to provide for you more than your paycheck. That's a gift. And so just because I depict Dave this way doesn't mean Dave did anything wrong. It just means that if Dave's heart is trying to earn something or gain something from God by what he does, Paul's saying it, it doesn't work like that. And vice versa, Heather doesn't have to come up and go, if I work hard, if I show up in church every week, if I get involved, if I give, whatever, then God will hear my prayer. Paul's saying both of those are incorrect. So I want to bridge the gap, if I can, because um, so often we hear a sermon like this, right? So righteousness, we're talking about righteousness, um, but we miss the tie-in to our culture or our world today. So if you've been watching the news, as long as you haven't lived under a rock for the last month, um, you've seen Charlottesville and the stuff going on in Charlottesville right now in Virginia. And so I have this picture here, um, and if you're listening online, right, the, the picture is a guy holding a flag, uh, and it's a bunch of people that are protesting and white supremacy and holding up shields, and they're in this fighting position, right? They're ready to fight, and that's what's going on right now. In culture, there's a lot of fighting, there's a lot of arguing, and there's a lot of really, really bad theology that comes across to us in the media. So let me tell you about this and what's going on um, if you are living under a rock. There's a group of people that are exerting their own, their own whiteness upon other people. They're calling it white supremacy, and they're fighting, and they're saying, uh, because we are white, we are more dominant, we're more gifted, we're more blessed by God than anybody else. Do you know what's happening here? It's this form of righteousness that says, I am more righteous than other people because, and then they fill in the blank. And if Paul was writing to us today, he would say, your theology is so wrong. It is so wrong. And it's not even consistent with the Bible. It's not consistent with the gospel. It's, your theology is so twisted and contorted. What you are doing is evil. It's evil. And so we as the church look at situations like this, and, and from afar and often, we have no idea what we're supposed to say. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to step in? Am I, am I supposed to say something? What if I say the wrong thing? And, and here's the thing with Charlottesville. Here's a group of people that say, I'm so self-righteous because of my skin color, which this is me just speaking for me here, is hilarious because it's so 
a skin color? Why would you base your theology? But you have no control. You can't do anything. It, it's so unfounded. It's not hilarious, maybe isn't the word. It, it's, it flabbergasts me because of how wrong and how sinful and evil and contorted that is. And then to use that to abuse and attack and diminish an entire group of people that don't look like you is so wrong. And it's not Jesus. Fun fact for you, Jesus was a whole lot more brown than he was white. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Somebody, there we go. And so what's going on in culture, this, I, I started thinking about practical steps. Here we are as the church, and we watch something on TV. We read it on our news feed. We see it online, and we see this attack that's going. And in this room, there are people that feel like they're on both sides of that. And it makes us uncomfortable. And we're not sure what we're supposed to say or what we're supposed to do. And a newsflash for you, it doesn't just happen in Virginia. It doesn't just happen in the South. There's a story that was shared with me this week of someone that faced this type of opposition and attack in our city. Why, why do we let that stand? We can't. We just can't. And so I'm thinking about practical steps. What, what do we as the church do? How do we step in? How do we engage with this? How do we fight this from the premise of this is the gospel, and this is what it means. I wrote down three things. First one is, so often we don't want to say the wrong thing, so we don't say anything at all. And that's a mistake. Because I'm getting up here today, and I, I'm struggling and fumbling with words, trying to go, how do I articulate that this is so evil and wrong, and I don't support it at all? And then what comes out sometimes isn't exactly what I mean to say. And so often, because we're scared of that response or we're scared of offending, we don't say anything at all. When in reality, the heart of the matter is we need to step up and stand out and fight for people who are being persecuted because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Number two is this. Approach it with a posture of humility. I don't have it figured out. I don't know what I'm supposed to say, what I'm supposed to do. I don't understand the complexities of our culture and how different cultural or societal things play into this. I, I, I don't understand, but I'm willing to learn, and I'm willing to step in, and that leads me to the third one. You need to find someone that doesn't look like you to process it with. You need to find someone that, hey, your, your background's different, or your socioeconomic status is different, or your skin color's different, or whatever. You're different than me. How does this affect you? What are you doing to fight this? What, what could I do to fight this? You need to find someone that doesn't look like you to engage this. And this is why, as we talk about righteousness, as we've talked about God's righteousness and then our own version of righteousness, this is how I want to depict it. God's righteousness is a gift. It's a gift that we didn't do anything to earn. We didn't do anything to accomplish. We didn't do anything to deserve what we have gotten. And yet God freely gives it to us because of our relationship with Christ and says, no, no, because you're with my son, you're considered right. You have right standing before me. And here's what we can do as the church. Here's what we can do if, you're, if you consider yourself attacked, marginalized, discriminated against, you name it. And it, it doesn't just have to be a race thing. It can be socioeconomic, it can be educational, it can be 
any sort of demographic you wish, but this is my challenge. This is my challenge to you, that you would receive the gift of righteousness that God has given you, and that you would open it up. And as you look inside, and as you see your own sin, and as you see your own shame, and you see your own faults and shortcomings and the disaster of a life that you created on your own. As you look in and you see this, and then you see it all on the back of Jesus on the cross, that you would look at that and go, this was an immeasurable price that I could never pay. And Jesus took it for me and gave me this gift of righteousness. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to put the lid back on, and I'm going to extend that to others. Because what's been done for me was from no effort or no accomplishment of my own. And so I'm going to extend something. I didn't deserve grace. I didn't deserve mercy. I didn't deserve love. And yet God showered these things on me. So now it's my call and my turn to extend the same to an entire group of people that didn't earn it, that doesn't deserve it, and honestly, probably shouldn't get it. But that's me too. And so this is my call, or this is my challenge to us here in this room. As we live our lives, as we live in work or at home or in family or wherever our social circle is that we interact with other people, would you see your own righteousness, your right standing from God as a gift? Would you see it as this thing that you didn't earn? God just gave it to you. He said, I loved you so much that I sent my son on a cross to die for your sins. I wanted you. I wasn't going to let the sin or the gap that you created going to stop me. I wasn't going to let it stop. No, no, I, I sought through it. I fought through it. I paid the price for it for you. And now you get to be a part of it and get to experience a little bit of what I went through for you as you extend it to another group of people. I'd ask that you receive this righteousness today. Not earn it, but receive it and then share it. Um, Sometimes things just happen. Uh, And this is one of those times. Um, We planned this weeks or months ago that we're going to have communion today. You probably noticed the communion stations as you walked in. Uh, And I want to add a little twist to communion, or I want to shift your perspective on it. Communion is this really cool thing that all of us can approach the table of God, regardless of race, regardless of skin color, regardless of any sort of demographic, socioeconomic status, financial status, education, you name it. Jesus actually invites all of us to come to the table and to experience his righteousness. And so we set this up today. We have four stations. There's two in the back. There's two in the front. There's bread there. There's wine there. And this is how it's going to work. I'm going to pray for us in a second. And I'm going to invite you to come forward. Uh, And you type A personalities out there, just get some sort of system going, okay? So we don't just cluster up here in front. But as you come forward, would you take the bread and take the wine, take it at the station. You can leave your empty cup in one of the baskets up front. 
But take communion, and we want you to go back and sit down in your seat and just have some you and God time. I don't know what that's going to look like for you. Maybe it's, God, I need to accept this gift that you've been trying to give me for so long, and I'm ready to accept it. Maybe it's, God, I've been so hurt and distressed and, and angry about what's going on in the world, and so I'm just angry at a group of people that I don't even know. Would you change my heart? Would you give me a heart of forgiveness and mercy and love? Maybe for someone you don't know, maybe for someone you do. But I'm going to invite you forward, but what Jesus did with his disciples, this is the night that he was betrayed, and Jesus looked at them and he took bread and he broke it in front of all of, all of his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. And he took wine and poured it. And he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. When you do this, remember me. Because the significance of that is if we ever stand on our own righteousness, we forget that there was one who paid it all. So today I want to invite you forward to receive that gift and I want to challenge you to extend that to others. God, message hits home for me because I hate injustice, because I hate seeing people mistreated, because I hate bullies, because I hate I hate sin, Lord. And so often, it's easy for me to look at the sins of other people and forget my own. Father, I pray that I just come before you with an open heart today, and I pray the same for everybody here, that we would just bear our souls to you and say, this is, I don't bring anything of value to the table but my heart. And you've already told us that that's enough. I pray that we would receive the gift of righteousness that you've given us, not because of anything we've done, but because of what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for your mercy and for your grace and for your love. And I just pray that you would challenge us, that you would equip us to do the same and extend the same to others. Father, as we come to your table and take communion, I pray that this time would be a time that we can focus on our relationship with you that you would show us our hearts, and that you would draw us into a closer relationship with you. Father, we love you. I pray this in Jesus' name.